0: Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. It's been a full morning already. Am I on? Am I good? It's good to be good. I just want to... uh... Um, I don't know it's just good to be together uh, I want to commend you guys attending church I know it's kind of a strange thing but there's something about when the body comes together as one and we lift up Jesus and we open up our hearts to his word that that preached word that experience of surrender and elevating Jesus it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the stuff that heals a broken world and we need that Regularly, all the time, time and time and time and time again, in a world where there's such a, there's just a far more casual approach to Sunday morning worship, which I'm not altogether against. I didn't necessarily love the rigidity or the legalism of some of the stuff of the past. I think the treasure of gathering together and exalting the Lord and lifting him high and, and letting him minister to us and then letting the, the, the preached word of God go over the top of us is what heals the brokenness in our world, and the brokenness in us, and it floods from his church into the world. So it's important. So um, anyways, good job to be here. I feel a little bit lopsided, a little bit heavy in the wing today. Yeah, you guys could balance that off. If we were an airplane or a ship, I'd have some of you move over, but um, I think we'll be okay for this morning. Uh, I'm going to continue with our Luke series, Luke 9. I'm going to do more in 20 minutes than you ever expected me to. I want to thank Adam for last week. Um, for the insightful, yeah, he did a great job. I I listened to the preaching while I've gone the last two weeks with John Leitzel and Adam. Um, Just wonderful times, guys, here together, so well done. But Adam Adam highlighted last week the contrast between chapter eight, where Jesus is kind of the one doing and teaching and saying, and and everyone else is kind of observing Jesus in his um, display of the kingdom, his, his presentation of who God is and who he himself is. And then in chapter nine, we observe at the very beginning that it shifts a little bit and Jesus puts the ball in our hands, right? So no longer is it just Jesus doing and saying and bringing kingdom power, bringing kingdom authority, kingdom change to society, to the world, but now he puts the ball in the hands of his disciples. And it's an incredible pivot. It was a great observation that he shared with us. Let me just read the passage, Luke nine one two. It says, And Jesus called the 12 together, And he gave them power and authority. That's a whole sermon itself. Jesus pulling us together, giving power and authority. Jesus doesn't just give power and authority, but he gives us togetherness. It's pretty awesome. Over demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money. And do not have two tunics. It's an incredible picture, and I want us to see it because Jesus is basically saying, here, I'm putting it in your hand. I'm delegating power. I'm delegating authority. I'm giving you togetherness. Don't lose the togetherness. He didn't call them individually. He called them together. The only way we stay together with all our differences and all our stuff is through Christ. He calls us together, and he gives us power, he delegates power and authority. He invites our participation In some ways, if you walk with the Lord for any length of time, you're going to feel that right and good pressure for participation. Jesus does not call us to himself for us to be observers, but to be participants. And so he delegates this authority, and he says, take nothing with you. And so what you need for the journey is not the the staff or the bag or the bread or the money or the clothes. What you need for the journey is is Jesus. What you need for the moving forward from here, it like cuts against every piece of like this, the over-preparedness that we feel like, I'm not ready for that, or I need more classes for this, or I need to be a better Christian for this, or I I just, I need more, I need more equipping, I need more whatever, another bag, or more money, or a staff, or something, an extra tunic. Yeah, that'll really push me over the edge to be effective. Give me an extra tunic. Some of you need a tunic, like your first tunic, but Jesus says, don't take any of that. That's not where your kingdom effectiveness is gonna be found. And it cuts against all of our human sense of preparedness. But our preparedness is found in a person. And if we walk with Christ, we walk in his delegated power, we walk in his delegated authority, and we walk together with one another, and God does great things. It's a real call to faith and courage. For God's people, to rise in their faith, to trust him when he sends us out, when he puts us in a situation. It's a call to believe that God will do everything he said he would do. And it's a call to courage. Because when the 12 went, they went and did. They were forced into doing. The Christian life forces us into doing and living and and being different. And it takes courage. Courage. Scary. For some people, it's more scary than others. I like the, uh, the line in, uh, it's one of the back to the museum where the museum comes to life. Right, what's that one? Yeah, you know, you've seen it. I don't know if it's the second, third, or fourth, or fifth. I don't know what it is. But there's a, there's a moment where custard comes back to life. And they say, What's the plan? And he says, We're Americans. We don't think we do. <laughs> yeah, so that didn't end well for him. But there's a sense in which we do. So I want to pray, and um, as I pray, I'm just going to ask God that his miracles would flow through us, that God would call us to participation, and just like the fish and the bread, or the giving of finance, or anything God calls you to, today, this week, or in your life, that God's power and his miracles will flow through you. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. We do love you. We sing songs that other people wrote, but they're good words, I guess. But Lord, now at this moment, we get put our own words on it. Lord, we love you. We are grateful to you. We are challenged by you. The things we see in your word, God, they cut against some of our preoccupations. And what we feel we need is important. And it shakes up all of our priorities. God, today we say we trust you to do that to us. And in any of the discomfort you might bring, Lord, we want to rise to it with faith, Encourage, because we believe that you have done a mighty work in us, and that mighty work is for the world. And Lord, we want to be your hands, your feet. We want to participate in the great kingdom proclamation. King Jesus, you are Lord, and we love that. And so as we go through your word, let your word go through us. We pray this in your precious and powerful name, Lord. Amen. All right, so I'm going to the, the, the title today, my sermon, is um, is the deep, the deep dive into discipleship, because at this point in Luke's gospel, we're seeing Jesus do great things, and people are kind of amazed. They're wowed by at miracles. People are seeing the power of God, and they're loving it. And so um, Jesus then brings it to a climax, and we're going to see some of the ways in which he takes his disciples, followers, into a deeper dive into what it means to be a disciple. And so I'll pick up at 9, verse 18. Here we go. Now, it happens as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, or the Messiah. In American English, we might say as the promised Savior. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell no one Saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This passage, the way Luke brings this to us, is it's very powerful because he has already invited the disciples into participation. They have seen, it. they've walked with Jesus, but but somehow here Jesus is bringing them to a deeper point. You remember in chapter 8 where, where the, they themselves were like, he calms the winds and the waves of the storm and the sea, and they're like, who is this guy? Who, who, who does that? Who calms the wind? Who calms the waves? And here, Jesus takes that same question, but it puts it right to them. Who do others say that I am, and who do you say that I am? I think it's fantastic about who do the others say, because I think what Jesus is doing in them is helping them contrast what culture and what society at large is saying about Jesus and then what they are saying about Jesus. Because what culture at large is saying about the Lord, about Jesus, about all that's happening is one thing. But what you personally, what you say, who you say Jesus is, that's an entirely different thing. And he's taking his disciples to this crossroad of decision. Culture might think that Jesus or Christianity is one thing. You get what you want, or he helps you in your time of need, or or there's this great teachings, or whatever society might think. But Jesus is saying, I'm not concerned about what everyone else is saying right now. I'm concerned about what you, in your heart, believe about me. I think many people, myself included, we can skate by on what people think Christianity is or what people think of Jesus at large. And sometimes, because it may be a lack of conviction or a lack of even just time spent thinking and working through our relationship with Jesus, we might just kind of get swept into a cultural picture, idea of who Jesus might be. But Jesus, as he takes his disciples deeper, he's like, I'm not concerned with all of that right now. This isn't your mama's Jesus. Although your mama's Jesus was probably pretty wonderful. To all the mamas here, thank you for sharing Jesus with your children. But there comes a moment in everyone's life where he brings us to this crossroad to say, who do you say that I am? And Peter, bless him, for all of his folly and all the mistakes he makes. Man, he he doesn't fear what other people think. Well, if I say he's the Christ, well, the people that think He's John the Baptist. They're not. They're going to be like, what's up with you, Peter? And maybe it's the people that say he's someone else raised from the dead. What are all those other people going to think? Peter is great. He's like, I don't care. I'm done with what other people are saying and thinking. I'm experiencing Jesus myself, and I know that he is the promised Savior from God to deliver us. And something happens in him when he makes that confession. Something happens to us as we face these moments of decision and we verbalize who is Jesus. That's why Paul picks up on it in Romans. He says, man, if you confess Jesus is Lord, you confess that in your heart, you believe that, and that's what it means to be saved, to be born again, to be living for God. If there's an active, verbal, external expression the Lordship of Jesus. Yeah. Do you have that? Active verbal external expression? I would encourage it. As I read this and I saw this, I was like, man, I want to say it. Jesus is Lord. Whatever that may mean, whatever that might take me, God, I believe that's true. Jesus is my Savior. He is my deliverer. He's the Messiah, the fulfillment of all that could be restore to me my relationship with God my relationship with my people and my relationship with my very own soul to get rid of all the conflict and the, the, the hypocrisy within me say no Jesus is Lord of that of this and of this and whatever it means to change or whatever I need to do to line myself with that that's my starting line I think when it comes to discipleship or being followers of Jesus, sometimes we pick up on all the other stuff, oh, well, okay, I'm going to join, I'm going to help with children's ministry, I'm going I'm to come to church, or whatever else, and you, you're, you get filled with all of the stuff, which most of it's just wonderful, some of it's a bit extra, but you, you, you miss the starting line, that core place at the very basic level of your heart and of your existence, Jesus is Lord. Peter says, you're the Christ of God. Later he says, where else could we go? You have the words of life, Jesus. Nothing makes sense. The world seems to be like everyone's leaving. It's getting hard. But where else could I go, Lord? Life is found in you and you alone. And so I stand by my confession. And so for us, we come to that crossroad, this decision moment. You know, Jesus, he helps lines up, he lines us up for that, because what he says after that is quite powerful. Once Peter says, you are the promised Savior, right, Jesus says, you're, you know, almost to acknowledge that, yes, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, Messiah is the Jewish word, and Christ is the Greek word, and promised Savior is the word that makes more sense to most of us. And once he sees that, Jesus then explains, he says, Yes, and this is how the Messiah, the Christ, the promised deliverer, this is how it's going to happen, Peter. I'm going to suffer many things, I'm going to be rejected by people that should be supporting me, I'll be killed, and I'll be raised. He takes him to that place. It's a very intimate place. It's the first time Jesus discloses this. He'll disclose it again and again and again as he gets closer to Jerusalem where all that's gonna happen. As we approach right, Good Friday and Easter, we see the plan being like it's gonna, this discipleship following Jesus to the cross is where our Luke series is gonna go next. That's our next emphasis as we watch him step by step by step come closer to God's will. For the forgiveness of sin for us. And it's costly to Christ. It's costly. And that's why he comes back to them and say, this is what it'll mean. Suffering and rejection, death and resurrection. And as an extension of his conversation, we pick up in verse 23. And he said this to everyone. Clearly, the disciples are a part of everyone, those who are going to follow him, make the profession. Jesus is Lord. And he said to everyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Luke is the only one who actually includes daily, the regular regiment of death to self, denying self. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself, or the old versions say his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words Of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the father, the holy angels. But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. If you will walk the road of discipleship, if you will follow Jesus, Jesus is saying it requires denying self and affirming Jesus. Now just take that a minute because what it means to follow Christ, we often get ourselves confused in the cultural definition of what it means to be a Christian, right? What do other people say it means? And we get caught up in that. Well, not every Christian denies himself. A lot of Christians, they just kind of feed themselves and they they get rich, fat, and happy and they never really live sacrificially at all. Or some people, they say, doing, just doing good things or whatever else. But Jesus is saying, no, if you're going to follow me, there will have to be a deep denying of self. Because at the core level of self, human self, is sin. Selfishness. Right? It, it says, if you are going to follow Jesus, you must take the center of your life off of yourself and recenter on Christ. Amen. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you are going to have to just move things away from getting what you want your way and surrender that. There's a higher priority on honoring God and obeying Jesus Amen. than getting what you want. The death to the sinful life experiencing that death to self is the only road to experience resurrection life, right? So unless the self dies, unless my selfishness dies, or I stop prioritizing what I want or what I think, and we start prioritizing what God wants and what God thinks, you'll never get to that point of resurrection life. Where you're actually living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power of where God wants you to be. Because the Christian experience is is about going from death to life but we fear the death we don't want to die to ourselves there's something about the hard things that create fear or anxiety and we run from them it's a natural flight Nobody wants that. But the process of following Jesus is experiencing layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of death to self. It's not a one-time deal. You make a decision, you say, Jesus is Lord, and you say, I'm gonna follow you, and suddenly, right, your own, the pressures of your own desires or the world around you start to press on that, but you persevere. It's called conviction, and you walk forward in your conviction, right? And just when you think you've got it, like, okay, I'm walking forward in my conviction, just when you get there, you get married. (laughs) Right? And then you get married, and you're like, oh, no, I'm not dead to self. Myself is raging like the Incredible Hulk to get its way. Sam and I, we have said this before, but it became a very common phrase in our early days of marriage. We would apologize to each other. We'd say things like, I'm so sorry that you have to participate in my sanctification. <laughs> there's, something, there's something about the proximity of a beautiful woman that you want to please um, and the roaring selfishness of our own heart that creates this really bad storm. And you realize you have a choice. Am I going to demand what I want? Is this going to be about me? Or am I going to center my heart, center my marriage, center fill in the blank on Christ? And if that happens, you will need to deny, deny, deny yourself. Deny yourself the respect you think you deserve. Deny yourself the pleasures you think you deserve. Deny yourself all of how everyone has done it in the past and every expectation you demand happens. And say, the only thing that needs to happen now is that you need to center it on Christ. And that is my defining the governor of my heart because I'm dying to myself and I'm affirming Jesus. It's not just marriage, although marriage, it's just sanctification is rampant. If you want healthy intimacy, togetherness in marriage, I mean, it's really kind of God to like put someone in your life who just always points out where you missed the mark, right? <laughs> Isn't that joyful? It's the pathway to joy. It's the pathway to joy. But you have to embrace it. You have to acknowledge it. Because if you try to save your own life, if you try to say this is the way it must be done, this is what I, how it needs to be, Jesus says you'll lose it. I can't tell you how many people, let alone marriages, have gone down in flames because they've sought to save it themselves. And they've not sought to lose their life for Christ. The act of losing your life is the act of finding fulfillment, completeness, contentment, and joy in God. And it's a lifelong process, but it's a lifelong embrace of God's work in you. And I'll just tell you right now, especially you men, you just need to own it. Stop defending, stop championing your cause, and own own your selfishness and bring it to the cross. I'm telling you, if we, and this goes for men, women, of course, all equal, but I, I know the male heart. And when you begin as men, denying yourself, giving it all to Christ, and living in that strength, in that reality... It, it changes everything. Same is true of women. But if my wife were preaching this message, I trust she would bring a strong word to women. But it's my turn. What is a prophet of man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his very soul? That's what the act of demanding self does. You are forfeiting your life as you demand it. It's just... It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Let me just end this moment with this sentence. Good friends, a good wife or husband, a good church community will help reveal where you need to die to self. A bad friend, a bad spouse, a bad church will let you stay the same. Some of you like, bring on the bad church. (laughs) Life has worn me out. I just need some bad church for a while. I just need to tread water here for as long as I can. I gotta, I gotta like reacclimate. Everything's crazy. No, no. The wounds of a friend can be what? Trusted. They're faithful. Left to ourselves we tend to justify the self. Left to myself, I tend to elevate and justify my selfishness. And I am profoundly good at it, as I trust you are. I love the, um, the word that um, Mandy brought about cleaning the inside of the car. Cleaning the inside of the windows. I think um, American church is, is just known for its reputation of being clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. It's nothing new. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. You're like whitewashed tombs, like you're a grave, and they just, it's all painted. It's got this beautiful mural on the outside. You're like, wow, that's a beautiful tomb. But on the inside, rotting flesh. And it's a nasty picture. He says, you're like, you're like a cup, and the outside is clean, but the inside is toxically filthy. You're like, oh, great. So I washed the outside of this, but inside, I put a big old nice dose of the coronavirus. Hey, everything's fine with me. Mm-hmm. Want some? I mean, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at. But, but as a disciple, when you, when you turn that corner and you say, with all my heart, I want to learn how to deny myself, to lose my life for Christ, and follow him. All those other decisions change. At the end of this chapter, there's like a bullet machine gun list of people that answer the question, Or make the statement, I will follow you wherever you go. These people are coming to Jesus and saying, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And we get these little vignettes. And Jesus is like, that's great, man. I don't have a house. You want to be homeless? And they're like, "Uh, I got a nice house. Or I've been saving up for a house. But following Jesus comes before all of our physical possessions. There's another guy that says, yeah, I want to follow you, but I'm going to go bury, I'm going to go bury my father. And in, in the, the Hebrew, the, the first century Jewish mindset, burying your father was one of the most holy, sacred acts that a son could do. But even that, Jesus says, those holy obligations, those, those important cultural things, they still have to come second to following me. Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. All these beautiful things, good things. Jesus says, even your family, even your relationships, all of your relationships for that matter, must come second to what it means to follow me. Deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. And the promise is this, that if you do that, that Jesus will restore and save it. You want the provision of God in your life for a home or whatever it needs? You lose your life for Christ. God's promise is to be your provider. You wanna live an honorable life in society in the world and make a difference? Absolutely, but you need to die to all of those ambitions to Christ and then let Christ come back and fulfill your purpose in society, whether it's honoring your parents or making a difference. You want your relationships to be right and good and and wholesome and and strengthening and full of life, not conflict or strife? Surrender them. Deny yourself. And let Jesus come and be Lord of your relationships and recalibrate the way you connect with others. It'll be beautiful. You'll actually be a life-giving friend. You'll actually be a source of blessing and healing to broken families. All these things are intimate, they're important to us, and it's scary to let them go, which is why it's a call to faith, trust in God, and courage to live your life for Christ. I'm going to pray as I close. I went a little over. <clears throat> but it's a deeper dive into discipleship. Many people, when they heard these words of Jesus, they laughed. They're like, yeah, that's a little too much for me, Jesus. I kind of just like the miracles and the, you know, the throwing out the demons and miraculous food provision. And they're there simply for what God can give them. But Jesus says, that is not the way to follow me. You lay it all down before him and you deny yourself. And Jesus says, I will then help you find your life. And your life will be full and profound, sacrificial, Costly, but incredibly, incredibly full of joy and purpose, friendship, community, righteousness, peace, and the Holy Spirit. But it's a crossroad, and it starts with a confession, and it goes there every day to the cross. Jesus invited his disciples this morning. God's word speaks to us again and invites you into that type of discipleship of Christ. Stand with me, and as I pray, I invite you to respond. I trust the Holy Spirit this morning to bring specific application to your life, Specific points of contact in each of our lives. It's the very thing the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. I encourage you to surrender to the Holy Spirit afresh today. Holy Spirit is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And just say, Holy Spirit, I open my heart. Show me areas of self that I need to surrender. Holy Spirit, show me areas where I'm clinging to life instead of denying it. Holy Spirit, change me. I want to be a disciple like that. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you for the word made flesh with Jesus. Thank you for the way it's still so powerful and relevant in our lives. How can it be, God, that we read these words and we, we proclaim this truth and that deep in our hearts, God, you're at work. You're transforming, you're, you're challenging, you're delivering, you're healing. Lord, you know that we're here to hear from you, even the hard stuff, even the challenging things. So, Lord, we open our hearts to hear the Holy Spirit's voice. Holy Spirit, put your finger on our hearts right now. And show us. God, deliver us from spiritual blindness where we just walk thinking everything's okay, but it's not. God, bring us into spiritual flourishing where we actually experience the full life of Christ. Where the sacrificial life just seems like the best version of life. God, we lay our possessions at your feet. All of it, God. God, we lay our traditions or obligations at your feet. Lord, we lay our relationships, the healthy ones, the broken ones, the toxic ones. God, we just say, Lord, we want to deny all of that, its desire to be first. And Jesus, we say you're first. We say Jesus is Lord. Maybe you need to say that. You haven't said it in a long time. Take a minute. Just say, Lord, you're you're Lord. Lord means to whom I belong. Lord, I belong to you. I've been purchased by your blood. I'm eager to move forward. Help me to pick up my cross, deny myself, find true life. So, Holy Spirit, we just, we say, have your way in these things not just in this moment, but in the moments that follow, the days, weeks, months, years, and the lifetime that follows, God. Help us to be true and profound disciples of Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. And amen. Amen. It's time to go. Amen. Have a great week.